0: Now before I get to that, I want to read to you a scripture verse out of the book of Corinthians. I haven't got it on the board. It just came to my mind this morning as we set up the hall and we were standing around. The scripture verse came to my mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, If you read from verse 1, you will see how Paul writes to this church and he talks about the old time. The Old Testament time. We talk about the nation who was disobedient to God. They were disobedient to God. And he writes this down to them here in Corinthians. And then he writes in verse 6, he says, Now these things, all the things of the Old Testament, all the things of the Old Testament... And for us today, all the things of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, because you're going to hear today about Stephen, which didn't happen in our day. It happened in the first century of the church. All these things. Why did this happen? Why is it in your Bible? He says there in verse 6, Now these things became our examples. Everybody say examples. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things, As they also lusted. So, what we're going to hear today is an example. I want you not to switch off because I'm going to do a lot of reading. We're going to read the whole testament of how Stephen's encounter with these religious men happened. We're going to go through all of that. And I want you to not sit and switch off. I want you to understand put yourself in Stephen's feet. How would you have reacted? How are you reacting today? How are you reacting as a child of God? Because while you call yourself a Christian, who calls themselves Christians? If you call yourself a Christian, there are people who are looking at you. They look at every reaction you've got. They listen to every word you say. Some of you may have family members who are not saved. They look at you and they know your history. They know where you came from. They know the naughty things you've done. Isn't that true? I mean, the people don't want to forget your naughty things. When you, when you talk to them about Jesus, they quickly are there to, to dig up the old cows. Who knows that one? The old dead cows. They dig them up. And they throw them in front of you. And you call yourself a saved child of God, bloodwashed Christian, Everybody's listening to what you're saying at your workplace. People will look at you and they will see that you are different. You don't partake in all of the things that the world do. You don't partake with all of your work friends and when they come together and when they tell these dirty jokes and everything and you walk away, they look at you, they take notice. The world is aware of what's going on. Why is the world aware? Because the world are seeking. Every person, you and I, were born with a void inside of us. And that void is seeking God. It is seeking God. Some people are using different methods to fill that void. But the only one that will fill you and make you whole again, W-H-O-L-E, whole again, is God Himself. So whilst the world is seeking, they're looking at you, and you are looking whole to them, they will be listening to what you're saying. They will be looking how you react in difficult times. And here we've got an example today. I want you to listen to this example. So the theme for today is, you always resist the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. God. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's not a wind. If you say you've got a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you have a relationship with the Father, which is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So the God the Holy Spirit is in this room today. The Bible says He lives inside of us and He's with us. So if you come in here today and you haven't got the Holy Spirit inside of you, and He's not with you because you haven't received Him at the cross, you are walking in where He is present. And today, He's going to speak through this South African accent man. He's going to bring life to these words, and the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you personally. To you personally. Now some of you might decide to switch off. Some of you might sit here and go, is he going to go 40 minutes, 45 or 40 or 53 minutes? If that is you, the Holy Spirit will not be able to come in and work with your mind and your heart and then you can write these words upon your head today, you are resisting the Holy Spirit. And you will see this is a watershed time for the nation of Israel, for the Jew. This year is a critical time, critical time for the Jewish nation. What are you going to hear today? Because they've already resisted the Father. They've already resisted the Son by killing Him. And now it's going to come in the third part where they're going to resist the Holy Spirit. And we see already what's happening in the world as we see that. So the definition for a watershed is a critical point that marks a division or a change of course, a turning point. A watershed in modern America, I should have taken that out. I know there's a word of watershed going on in America, but the definition here is a division and a change of course. And if you remember the key verse in the whole book of Acts, which I've been talking to you for so many months now, is Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And we see up to this point that all of the preaching is happening in Jerusalem. Who are they preaching to in Jerusalem? To the Jews. But this verse says, You shall be my witness, which is the word martyr, which means you will die for me in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is what Jesus told them. But for them now, they went back into their old habit. They went back to the synagogue, to the synagogue, to their own people. They weren't sitting there with a ministry plan to reach the ends of the earth, to reach the South Africans, to reach the Indians, the Chinese, the Australians, the New Zealanders. They didn't have that in their minds. Did I miss one of the, the Italians, I, I miss the Italians. Oh, okay. <laughs> the Philippines. But how do we get this message, the gospel message out to the rest of the world, if they're only going to preach it to the Jews? You see, Paul said this, he said, Jesus said this, to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. Never forget that. To the Jew first, then to the gentile. The Jew first, the gentile. Can all the Jews put up their hands in this place? No. I didn't think we had one Jew in our our midst. And let me also say, I do not believe in replacement theology. You didn't all of a sudden become a Jew when you got saved. No, no, you became a blood-washed child of God. Are you that? Again, let me just say again, there are only two kinds of people in the world. You say, oh, come on, preacher. What about all of these different nations? You just named them. What is those two kinds? You either are a disobedient child and your father is Lucifer the Satan himself or you are an obedient child of God. You've only, only got one or two fathers. Let's name it as it is. I know there's people who's hearing it online if it's still on. And people get offended by that. You are either obedient to Christ And then God is your father, or you are disobedient to this Bible, to this whole message, to Jesus Christ. You call yourself, but if you're not born again, then your father is Satan himself. That's what the Bible teaches. I better get into Acts before I go into another message. So let's get into Acts chapter 6. He says there in verse 8, and Stephen full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Again, he's doing signs because they are working with Jews. Jews are looking for a sign. The Greeks are looking after wisdom. So he's doing miracles and signs even through Stephen. Then there arose some from, which is called the synagogue of the freedmen, the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, and those of Sicilia. That's, That's, by the way, where Paul came from. Paul, which is Saul of Tarsus. From those of Sicilia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. I love this. They were not able. Look at this. This this is how many? How many people? They coming from the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, from Sicilia, from Asia, and they all dispute with one man, with Stephen. And by the way, Stephen is a deacon. He's not even an elder. He's not even an apostle. He's a deacon. You remember previous last week? They said, let's choose seven men amongst you who is full of the Holy Spirit. Yes? Full of power and of wisdom. Yes? That's who he was chosen. So Stephen is here. And now these men came out and they dispute with him. They came up against him. But he was full of faith and power. I wanted to say, they are in for a hiding if he's full of faith and full of power. Amen? Because Jesus said you will receive power when what happens? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So they've got to do here with one man. Listen to me. Full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And it says here, and they were not able to resist him and the, for the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. This is just making it through what Jesus said. You remember when Jesus said to His disciples in Luke 12 verse 11, He says, Now when they bring to you in the synagogue and the magistrates and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you would answer or what you would say. Do not worry about these things. Why? For the, the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Look at Stephen. They're bringing him, that you're going to see in the next verses, all these people come upon him, and they couldn't resist him. Why? Because of the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So Jesus was correct in what he said, isn't it? Brothers and sisters, your faith needs to grow by what you're hearing right now. This is not just words on a piece of paper. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will teach you. The Spirit wasn't poured out then. But now he was, and Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and of God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. You see? The council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not speak. Uh, cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. You see, they couldn't resist him. They couldn't. So, what do they have to do? Now they have to bring in, uh, stir up people to bring in false accords against him. They need to come and lie about. They induced men to say this in secret to say that he's blasphemous against Moses, against God, and against the holy place and the law. He was preaching the gospel. But they couldn't resist this. You see, this is the same today. You hear some people and you talk to them and they will, they will just bring up their church. Oh, it's such a holy place and such a holy mega church and you, dare you say anything against that church. Dare you bring any negative thing against that church. Then you're speaking against the anointed. Have you heard that? No, brothers and sisters, the Bible says we need to test every spirit. We need to test it. But he didn't test that. He was just telling them what Jesus said about the holy place. What did Jesus say? He said, this place will be broken down. Didn't he say that? What about the law? When Jesus Christ died, the sacrifices stopped. Why? Because he was the total sacrifice for us. No longer did you have to kill an animal to cover the sins. This was washing away our sin. So this is the account. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. Well, and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looked steadfast at him, and they saw his face as the face of an angel. Can you see that? Have you ever wondered how that must have looked? have you ever wondered have you ever seen in the books when they show angels and they filter the faces and it looks so beautiful and you look at the angel faces and you say oh that's so beautiful do you think that is what this was no i want to suggest to you no it's not how he looked outwardly but the peace that was on his face and we need to learn something here you see when he says the face of an angel they couldn't see any fear in his face they couldn't see any worry or anger in his face. He was standing in front of them. He was disputing with them and you couldn't read anything. You couldn't, they threw so much stuff back at him and you couldn't see him becoming upset about it. This is critical for me. You know, I see over the years sometimes... You know, even, even sometimes when people go out on street evangelism or some person stands up on a TV program and they, they defend, they try to defend the faith and somebody's in their faces. I see so often that children of God get upset. I see so often that they shout back at them. I see so often that children of God get angry and then they try to find excuses and they say, oh, the Bible says get mad but do not sin. I know that's what the Bible says, but look at your circumstances Look what the world is looking at. The world is looking at you, not at the other person. The world's not looking at all of those people who bring the accusation. They are looking at Stephen. This is important for me. He was at peace. They were quarreling with him. They tried to pull him out. Because if you start shouting back, if you start pulling your face out of anger, you see the world look at you and they go, is that what a Christian looks like? We need to be careful about this. Stephen is a great example to us. The Bible says his face was like the face of an angel. He was at perfect rest. The angels are at perfect rest. Why? Because they know the power of God. This man knew the power of God. You see, when he came in front of that Sanhedrin, this is how it looked. He would have been standing right in the middle in front of the high priest, and he'd be surrounded by 70 members glaring at him. They didn't like his message. They'd be glaring. They'd be pulling faces at him. I can imagine, just look at him with a really anger. We're going to read that later on. And here stands this man of God, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, and he has got the face as of an angel. How would you react in that situation? Have you ever asked yourself, it's an example to us. I see people getting upset when it's only brother to brother who's Who's, who's who's talking about this? Or it's only on the street one person, you know, not agreeing with what you say. We don't want the world to agree with us. We want the world to hear the gospel. You won't change people. The gospel will. The Holy Spirit will. So here he seems standing in front of them. Then the high priest said, and I love this: Are these things so? And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran. And he said to him, Get out of your country from your relatives and come to the land that I will show you. They ask him a very tricky question here. Have you noticed? They ask him this question, Are these things so? They brought the false accusations. Now if he said yes, then he's admitting to blasphemy. If he said no then he's rejecting Jesus. It is like when you stand in a court and the, the lawyer is standing there for the, for, the, for, for the state. And they ask you, they say to you, have you stopped stealing? That's a similar question. Have you stopped stealing? Now if you say, yes, I've stopped stealing, what are you doing? You're admitting that you did steal. So yes, I've stopped stealing... If you say no, then it means that you are carrying on stealing. This is the same question. They throw these tricky questions at you. And I know, I mean, Sean, you know you've got experience and and I know Glenn has got experience in the street. These people, as soon as you bring them the gospel, what do they do? They come with tricky questions. I've myself experienced this. You share to somebody the gospel and as soon you bring them to the point where the Holy Spirit is working to them and you ask him this question, you say, are you born again? Yeah, and and you know what they do. Oh, but what the Bible, and then they bring a difficult thing out of the Bible, trying to pull you away from and trying to resist the Holy Spirit. They come to him and they say this, and we're going to read now through his whole account what he's saying because it's important. Because you will find that Stephen is not saying yes and he's not saying no. He's actually giving them a great account of what they should know. And we're going to read through that. Now let me just say, if you haven't read through your Bible from cover to cover, you should do it. Amen? But if you want to find a good summary of what's in your Bible, you will hear it today. Amen? And you will not be able to stand before God and say, I didn't go through the Bible. And let me also say, this is not in depth. So each one of these, I can actually start preaching sermons. I can keep us busy for a year just on what Stephen has said. For example, when we see this first part, when he says, our father Abraham, when he was in Mesopotamia, which was houses built out of mud, okay, before he dwelt in Iran, When you go back in Genesis, Haran is a halfway house. Because God didn't call him to Haran. God called him to the promised land. But he stopped at Haran. Why did he stop at Haran? Because his family was still with him in Haran. But God said to him, get out of your country and out of your relatives, your family, and come into the land that I will show you. But when he packed up in Mesopotamia and he went, who went with him? His father. His father. So he didn't get out away from his father, so God stopped him in Iran. So some many times you are in a situation where you're praying for something, and God says, "I will take you from there to there, but between these two things, there's something that needs to change with you, and if it's not going to change, you're going to stay at Iran until they change before you come into the blessing of God that He wants for you at that point in time. I should preach that sermon one day, John. But there's a sermon in itself, a mini-sermon dream. You see, so many times we pray for that, and God gave us, and we say, well, God gave us. He wants to take us there, but you are stuck. You need to go back and say, Lord, what is holding me back? It may be a habitual sin you are doing. It may be a bad habit you are still sitting in. And God says, I've got all of this growth for you here. You sit over here and you say, Lord, why are all of those people growing so much? And it's just because there's stuff in your life which you need to sort out with the Holy Spirit before you go there. Look at the next verse, because it says it there. Then He came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Iran. He dwelt there. He didn't just pitch his tent, he dwelt there. There was a time. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it. Not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abram had no child, he promised to give him to him for a possession and to the descendants after him. But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land, and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them for four hundred years. And the nation whom they will be bondage, I will judge, said God. And after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. Remember, this is Stephen now talking to the council. He gave them a little bit of the history. The first one he's going to is Abraham. Because they said he is blaspheming against Moses. He says, well, I will go further back than Moses. Let me tell you where it's coming from. Let me tell you about Abraham. I'm not talking against Abraham. But there's an interesting lesson we learn again here. You see, when he says, and the nation to whom they will be bondage, I will judge. And we saw this. Every time God wanted to punish his nation Israel, what did he do? Did he zap from heaven out, which he could have done? No, no, he uses another nation to punish them, to oppress them, to take them cavity. And then when the nation cries out, Lord, help me, and they feel this and they realize who God is, what happens? God goes back and he punishes that nation, which he used to punish his people. Let it not be forgotten about that. I've had a man during the week who asked me that question in Revelation. He says, God is using these people to do His work, but then He punishes them. Why? That's how God works. You will not touch the apple of God's eye, which is Israel. And then he says in verse 8, Then He gave them him the covenant of circumcision. To whom did He give the covenant of circumcision? To Abraham. To Abraham. He didn't give it to us for the church today. No, no, this was in the flesh. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him in the eighth day. So in our day, we are circumcised by the heart, not by the flesh. And Isaac bought Jacob, and Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs became envious and sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him. And somebody shout hallelujah. But God was with him. I love the word but, sharp contrast. They were envious. They sold Joseph. You know the story. And what happened? But God was with him and delivered him out of his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over the Egypt and all his house. I mean, my sister, you were praying this morning. You were asking for God. You were asking for prayer in your, in your circumstances. You should have this verse and go back and pray and say, Lord, thank you. But God was with him and he delivered him out of all of his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom. Doesn't matter how big your problems is, if God is with you, he will deliver you out of your problems. He will teach you a lesson in them. He will. And you may have to go a longer time in that troubles until you learn the lesson. Let it be known. It's not as if God doesn't know what's going on, He knows. And He knows how you're going to react. The only reason why He keeps you there is for you to see how you react in that. Now a famine and a great trouble came over the land of Egypt and Canaan and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out his fathers first. And the second time Joseph was made known to his brothers and Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him. Seventy-five people. So Jacob went out to Egypt and he died. And our fathers, they also died. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in a tomb that Abram bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But when the time of the promise near drew near, which God has shown Abram, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose who did not know Joseph. I love these two passages here. The first one knew Joseph, the second one didn't know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. At this time Moses was born and was well pleasing to God and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was sent out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deed. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren and the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down, uh, down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. But they did not understand. It's the same today. Jesus Christ came to deliver you from sin. But there's so many people who still do not understand that. They still want to work to get their sin delivered from. Jesus came to do that. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and trying to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you the ruler and the judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian where he had two sons. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of a fire of the bush. Is that a capital or a small letter? It's a capital letter. Who was that? That was Jesus who appeared to him. Jesus appeared to him. There's another message there. And, and he appeared to him in the flame of a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him saying, I am the God of your fathers. If you want to have a fantastic great sermon about the name of God, go and listen two weeks ago when my brother Oral preached a sermon in this place. Fantastic sermon about that name. It's a wonderful name. It only belongs to God. He says, I am the God of of your fathers, the God of Abram, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not look This is so fantastic man I don't know about you but I love it when you just read through the word Then the Lord said to him take your sandals off your feet for the place you stand on is holy ground I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt Who saw that God saw the oppression of his people If you're sitting here today and you say I'm praying but Lord where are you He sees He sees his children he says, I've seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their groaning and I've come down to deliver them. I've come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses whom they rejected saying, Who made you the ruler the Anjats? He's the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out. After he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and the Red Sea and the wilderness 40 years. This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. Remember he's talking to the synagogue here, to the Sanhedrin. They said to him, he's talking blasphemy against Moses. They said he's blaspheming God. I don't see a blasphemy against Moses or God. I see how he brings out Abraham. Now he brings out Moses. And it's so fantastic. But he says this verse, this is a key verse, verse 37. It's a key verse, you need to underline it in your Bible. Because this is a pivotal point in that conversation with these men. He says, this is that Moses, who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Look at this now. Is that capital or small letter? Who's that? Jesus. He said to them, He said, The Lord your God will raise up for you Jesus like me from your brethren. What does it mean? Moses came from them. He was their deliverer in the land of Egypt. Likewise, Jesus is going to come from amongst you. He's going to be born like a baby, being raised up. Like me. He says this to those people. Him you shall hear. But did they? No. This is He who was in, in the congregation in the wilderness with the angels who spoke to Him on the Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us whom our fathers would not obey but reject. He said to them, He said, Your fathers rejected this. And in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. Egypt is a sign of sin. Egypt is the world. Saying to Aaron, this is the people, make us gods to go before us. As for Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf. In those days, offered sacrifices to the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. I want you to be hearing what I'm saying right now. It's the same today. It's the same. You see when it says they make calves and all of these idols? I want to ask you this morning, what is your idol? What is your idol? What is getting your sacrifice? What are you sacrificing for the most important thing in your life today? Some of you know uh, um, Anton Bosch. He's a, preacher in a South African preacher who's preaching in America now. He's preached this ser- series, and I'll, I'll send it through you to you to Facebook, those who are connected to me. I think you should go and listen to that series. He preached one sermon there about idols, and he preached about myself as an idol. What is your idol? Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. But what is your sacrifice? What is your idol? What is it? Is it finances? How much time are you spending to make that thing? Is it people? Is it relationships? Is it a person? So don't sit here. Remember when I started today, I said these things are examples to us. What's, what Stephen is saying is an example. What is it? Is it your job? How much time do you spend in your job? I'm not saying you should now go and resign and not work. The Bible says you should do that. You should. I'm working. I'm giving time. But is this, is this taking everything from you? What about your family? These idols, you know. And then they rejoice in the works of their hands. You see that? It's all about me and myself. Then God turned and gave them up to the worship of hosts of heaven, as it's written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifice during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch. You see this name here? And the star of your God, Rephan, Images which you made to worship and I will carry you away before Babylon. You see there's so much stuff we can, I can preach a whole year just on what he is saying here. Are you already tired listening to it? You shouldn't be. This is the word of God. Look at this. Moloch was a God. Did you know that in those days they took babies and they threw them in the fire for Moloch? They burned little babies you know that that's moloch i want to ask you what is different from moloch and of abortion today what is different i'm not political when i say that i'm scriptural when i say that and then they had the star of the god Retham. what is that what is that is that, that that's, that's an image that was a 8 or a they they can't but it was a, a sign that they had and they walked with the sign around this image and they worshipped that image. Look at the worship of image today. It's the same. You can't just sit here and say this is what happened. Forty-four. Our fathers had the tabernacle in the witness of the wilderness, as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that had seen. So he spoke with Abraham. He went to Moses, and now he's going to come to. Solomon and David and the temple because all of those things is what they said he did wrong didn't they they said he's blaspheming against Moses and against God well he's addressed that now he's coming to the temple he appointed instructed Moses to do this 45 which our fathers having received it in turn also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by Gentiles whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. Whoo! Praise the Lord! <laughs> That's what you see today. You know, we, we are holding church in a funeral home. Some people are afraid to come to this building. This building is nothing. This is a building, and I thank God for the beautiful building He's giving us to, to have services. You're sitting with air conditioning here, working perfectly fine. It's a nicely painted place, if, that, if, if, if you bother for that. It's nice. It's only a building. But I love the next words. However, everybody say however. The Most High does not dwell in temples made by hands. This is nothing. You know, this company can come to me and say, "No, we don't want the church here anymore. Will you be upset if I take you to a building which is a rundown building?" Some will. Some will. They'll go, "Oh, come on. You need to have some kind of professionalism, don't you? We will lose some people, no doubt. Do you want to bring God into a place like this? Oh) Therein lies the problem. God does not live in buildings. Where is His building? Come on, you tell me. Right here. He comes. Look at this. However, the most... And remember, he's talking to these people who said he's against this place. He wants to break down this beautiful temple that Solomon built. Now he, he addresses that. He says, God is not living in this temple. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place is my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? And now here comes the verse that if you were asleep right now, you need to wake up. Turn to the person next to you and say, wake up. This is where he comes to. He says, you stiff-necked people. You know, at this point in time, you know, I could see those 70 men just shaking their heads. Yep, Stephen, you're on point, you're on point, you're on point, you're on point. Well, Man, we like you. Why do they bring this guy in here? He's talking all of this stuff. Then, then that angel face turns to them. And with the most angel face that he can put forward, he says the following words. I can't imagine this. I honestly think if I was standing there and I was just preaching to them what I just preached, I would have had my face, you know. I would, you know but when I get to this, I would stiffen my face like, you stuff like people. You know, your lips get a little bit stressed in. That, I think that's what I would do. But this angel face this face that everybody should love, this at rest, at peace, turn to them. In the same words he says, you stiff necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. That's an indictment against those people. Let it be known, it is an indictment to every single person who hear the preaching of the gospel and resist the Holy Spirit. Whether you like the building, whether you like the angel face preacher or not, if you hear the gospel of God being preached to you and your ears get it in, your ears need to be circumcised to be able to hear the gospel and to respond to it. You need to be able to circumcise in the heart so that you receive the gospel. And I tell you over the years that I've preached this word, for some this is a too hard message. To bear. They will go to places that trickle them on the ears. Oh, you're so nice. You can have your nice life right now. God came for all the people and showed them love. You know, let's just laugh, everybody. Let's give them a hug. A sisterly hug and a brotherly hug. No, no. The gospel, cut like a two-edged sword between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. It is the Micaiah sword of the Lord. David, you love your swords. The Micaiah is a, is a sword that cuts with craftiness. You stiff-necked people. This is how I would have said it. I don't know how he said it. One day in heaven, I will ask him, one day I might ask God to replay that because you know for God he's just a real playing off. Maybe I would go to, to Jesus or to God and say, "Can you re- I want to see how this played off. He will be able to do that like a video machine rewinded. I want to. I would have walked. I would have just, I, in my, I would have thought, man, I need to put some effort behind this. You stiff-necked people and uncircumcised not. But he was standing there with a peace and silent face and that was cutting to them. Are you stiff-necked this morning? What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? What is that one thing? Every single time you hear a message, you stop at that one point. But here comes the warning this morning. This is the watershed time. There comes a time when God is just going to move it away. He's going to move it away, and you're going to feel ikabot, the Spirit departed. Saul experienced that. Listen to this, as your fathers did to you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, and whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers of, who have received the law by direction of angels and have not kept it. This is the watershed. These men should have fallen on the ground, called out to God and said, God, we repent. Lord, I repent. I'm talking to you this morning. Forget about these people. What is that one thing that makes you stiff-necked? And I, you know, they should have cried this out. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Remember I preached a sermon a couple of months ago about the two reactions of being cut to the heart. These men, they gnashed with him at their teeth. Gnashed with their teeth. I hope they had their own teeth and not false teeth. But then again, I realized there's no false teeth in those days. But they really gnashed with their teeth. They were biting on those teeth. They were uh, gnarling at him. Hey, this is angel face standing there. Can you see the two opposites? Now, what if he started gnashing back at them? No, he did not. This is so amazing. It's only the Holy Spirit that will be able to bring you through this. And they gnashed at Him with their teeth. But He, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Hallelujah. In the midst of your problems, brother, sister, listen to me. Gaze, know that there's a Father. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And He said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, they were gnashing their teeth. I want you to see what happens here. It is a watershed time. But you need to read this and understand what he's saying. Because then you will understand why they went from gnashing their teeth to literally pick up stones to kill him at this point in time. Okay? When he started looking up, looking up, he uses a title that Jesus used, which they've heard. And when he uses that title and saying, I can see... The son of who? The son of man standing next to God. That's when they just lost it. What is the one title that Jesus used for himself more than any other titles when he talks about himself? The son of man. What does it mean? Because we have the son of God and the son of man. It's the same person. But the son of God is when Jesus came from heaven down. The son of God came and he lived amongst us. He came down. What is the Son of Man? You've heard me say this before, but for those who didn't, I'll say it to you. The Son of Man is the one who dwelt amongst us, God with us, Maranatha, yes? Or or, uh, He was with us, Emmanuel, God with us. Now He's reaching out from the earth into heaven, the Son of Man. And when Stephen stood there and said, I can see the Son of Man standing next to God... That penny dropped for them. They went, all the stuff that he said you killed. Now you're looking into heaven, you say the Son of Man is there. Who put him there? We must have put him there. What happens now? Let's finish. Let's finish this morning. He says in verse 56, Look, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They cried when they heard this, they cried out with loud voice, stopped their ears. And ran at him with one accord. This is it. This is the final watershed. We're not going to hear this anymore. And I've seen it so many times. I've seen it. I've been preaching this gospel now for so many years. There's some people, and I can see, because remember how many eyes look at me, all of you guys look at me, you see my every reaction, but I look back. I look back. Have you noticed? I'm not blind standing here. And when I preach the gospel, I literally can see so many times it goes in and it falls on good soil. I can see everybody's now putting up their best place. <laughs> it's not like that. It's not a superpower, okay? But I can oftentimes see a veil comes up where people just switch off. We're getting too close now. We're getting too close now. You know what I see? There's only one of two reactions. You get cut by the heart and you respond to the Holy Spirit. Not to me. Not to me. I shock so many people when I say to them, and I'm not building a chance to get you people to come here and follow me. If you follow me, you're in error. Absolutely. If you come here to listen to this South African accent every time, and you say, oh, I love this South African accent. Oh, well, good. There's so many South Africans. Listen to them. You come here to hear the gospel and to grow in the Spirit. That's your reaction. But I've also seen those who cut by the heart walk out these doors, or the doors where we preach the gospel, and you never see them again. And when you get to them, they've got all of these stories, and you realize, that day when I preached that sermon, I could see the veil coming up. And you know what? You are resisting the Holy Spirit. And let me tell another word which might offend you. You are stiff. You're offending me right now. I hope so. I hope I'm offending me. Oh, but the gospel is the gospel of love. You should, you should do this in love. I am. I'm, do you want me to have an angel face? I can say it with my angel face. Look at me. <laughs> I did shave this morning. Or I can say it with a really angry face. You are a stiff people. which one will grab to your heart?
1: None of those.
0: It is the Holy Spirit. It's not my performance. If you come here for my performance, you are missing the boat. You are missing the train. Now listen. He says, look, I see the heavens open and they stop the ears and now it happens and they cast him out in the city and stoned him. And the witness lay down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. You remember? I said where Saul came from, he was one of those groups. And no doubt Saul saw this whole thing playing off. In fact, if you read right through all of Saul's writings in his letters, he refers so many times back to this sermon that Stephen preached. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And they knelt down and out of the loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And, they, and when he said this, he fell asleep. Now let me just say about this, he fell asleep means he died. It doesn't mean he's sleeping because he said, Receive my spirit. When he sleep, when he fell dead there, his spirit went straight to be with Jesus. Where was Jesus? At the right hand of the Father. When you die, your soul lives on. And what happens? You go to the Father, your body goes to the grave. Now, brothers and sisters, let me say this before I pray. I think I've done very well reading that whole sermon in such a short time. Didn't I, Mark? Yeah? (laughs) I hope you've listened to the, to the sermon of Stephen. This took a lot of courage. Would you agree? It took a lot of courage to walk in. Stephen to walk in there and to say these things. We don't know a lot about Stephen. We don't know where he came from. Do we? We don't know whether he was a good boy or a naughty boy. We don't know whether... I know he was a sinner before he came to Christ. We don't know what sins he did. People who he grew up with might have said a lot of things, bad things about Stephen. They might have said, that guy, I don't want to listen to him, he was a bully. He might have been the guy waiting around the corner as you walk out of school punching you for your for your lunch money or for your lunch box. Who do we know? He could have been a really nice chap. He could have been the guy waiting around the corner, not to bully you or to hit you, but to give you his lunch. He might have been any one of those. He might have been a guy with a Ponzi scheme. Who, who do we know? He might have been a guy who bites a dog's tail and pulls the cat's hair out of his ear. Who, what do we know? He might have been an, an animal lover. Does that matter? He might have been a gossiper. He might have been a drunkard even. Yes? Yes or no? We don't know anything about that. But the most important part that we know is that when he came to Christ, we know one thing about him. He's full of the Holy Spirit and what? Wisdom. Brothers and sisters, why do I say that? It doesn't matter who you are sitting here today. It doesn't matter your past, what what you've done. But if you sit here today and you say, Lord, I want to see, I want to be the man, the one person, fill me with your spirit and use me to your glory and honor. I'll tell you one thing. You look at Stephen and he will use you in exactly the same way that he used Stephen. He will use you in every which way. And Stephen was full of faith and of power. What are you full of this morning? What are you full of? If I take you, If I could, I'm not so strong anymore, but if I could take you and tip you around, and I take you by your boots and I shake you like a tree, you know, if I shake you, what's going to fall out of your pockets? What's going to come out of you? I think the thing I want to say, if I shake your cage, and I make you really angry, what's going to come out? Garbage in, garbage out. Holy Spirit in, the Word of God in, what's coming out? When they shook him, what came out? Lord, forgive them. Don't hold this against them. It's only the Holy Spirit that can make you say those words. Amen? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much this morning for your word. I thank you, Father. We've read a lot of your word. And Father, even if I didn't even... I didn't have to say anything. I could have just read the whole word and I knew that you have spoken, Lord. But Father, now that I've read it and now that you've added in the parts which you wanted to be added in, I pray for everybody here today as we go this week that we remember Stephen's example. And then, Father, we look into the mirror, which is your word, and we allow your word through the Holy Spirit to change our lives so that we can live by not Stephen's example, but Jesus' example, which he set for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.